Marcus, aka Corona Kirby, and this is the place for musings on cryptography, technology, and the weather. Um, so it has been a while since I recorded a podcast. Uh, I've sort of been caught up to by you know a bunch of stuff related to school and whatnot. Um, but hopefully I'll have a bit more time to actually record these things on a consistent schedule because compared to like blog posts. Recording podcasts doesn't take much time, which is nice, and which is why I started doing them in the first place. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> I'll be able to stick to somewhat of a schedule. Anyhow, I guess today I'd like to talk about a few different things related to legibility. Uh, by that I mean uh, how technology is understood by other people, and why it's important for technologies to have some kind of understandability and otherwise like things get misinterpreted and there's sort of two things that made me think about this topic to begin with which i'll get to later um the first is like the prominence of fully homomorphic encryption or fhe as like a thing even though it, i'll get to this later but in my opinion fhe isn't like that useful especially when like you think of it in terms of like the application level uh instead it's more of like an internal cryptographic building block but it's sort of like if people always talked about block ciphers instead of talking about encryption uh, what you care about is encryption the fact they use block ciphers or prfs i mean it's not like a very important thing and then another thing that sort of makes me think about legibility and this is like a very much older uh annoyance i've had which is that like oftentimes people will like conflate machine learning with like automation in general and also with like computing. So like people will will laud machine learning for being able to do things that like we already know how to do with just software. That's another thing that's annoyed me for a while. And I think both of these things are related to, to legibility in that the reason that these sort of confusions happen is because these technologies are much more legible or at least have like much better narratives around. But before sort of getting to the grand, you know, theory of legibility, let's just talk a bit more in depth about each of these. Um, so first, uh, let's start with like the fully homomorphic encryption thingy that I've complained about a few times. So, I mean, first of all, what is fully homomorphic encryption? So, what it is is that the, the interface it provides is actually somewhat simple. Um, at the basic level, we have sort of encryption, right? Um, and here we're talking about public key encryption, which means that sort of anyone can encrypt to your public key, but only you as the private key can decrypt uh, messages sent to you. Um, so there's this asymmetry there. And normally with public key encryption, it's not like malleable. What that means is that like, if I have an encrypted message, I can't really modify it anyway. At least I shouldn't be able to. Like, I shouldn't be able to flip some bits in the message without you noticing. That would be sort of bad. So, CyberTech is sort of like this blob that you can't modify. Now, some encryption schemes have what we call homomorphic properties, which means that it's sort of possible to combine CyberTechs in a way which sort of does something to the underlying messages. For example, like, maybe there's a way to modify CyberTechs by, like, doing something, and the output is known to flip a specific bit in the message. 
So that would be a kind of homomorphic property in that you can do something to the ciphertext and you know the effect it's going to have on the plain text and sort of deterministic. Uh, and then more complicated things are where you can sort of combine multiple ciphertexts together. So one example of something that's actually quite useful is an additive homomorphism. So if the messages are numbers, maybe you can make it so that if you do something between the ciphertexts, the result is adding the two messages inside. So you take in two ciphertexts, you do some kind of operation between them, you end up with a third ciphertext, which is the addition of the, well, the message contained in the ciphertext is the addition of the underlying messages from the original two ciphertexts. So that's an additive homomorphism. And the other kind of thing you could have is instead of adding, you can multiply, right? So I give you two ciphertexts, you do something with them, you get a third ciphertext, and inside is the multiplication of the two thingies. And fully homomorphic encryption is when you have a way to do both addition and multiplication with the same encryption scheme. And the reason this is useful is that if you can sort of do this, you know, ad infinitum, you can sort of do any operation you want. Because if you imagine the sort of messages just being bits, if I can sort of bind them with multiplication and addition, I can sort of do any Boolean operation. And from there, I can just do any kind of function on the ciphertext. So if like, you know, the ciphertext encodes through like each bit, maybe my, well, there's different things you might want to compute, but uh, as an example, maybe I want to compute like my favorite food based on like all the foods I've eaten or something like that. So you could sort of like run that program on the ciphertext and get out the result. Uh, there are some like technical limitations. So often you're talking, you hear about like leveled FHE and bootstrapping and stuff like that. I think those are best left as like internal things. So one thing to note about FHE is that it's actually quite slow, at least for now. And also you run into this limitation where like if you do a, a little, a few operations, it's okay. But there's like these sort of leveling periods where as soon as you do a bunch of operations, you sort of reach a saturation point where you have to do a very expensive operation to sort of reset things back to a manageable level. Because basically the issue is that like, at, with the, the systems we have right now, as you sort of do operations, there's like more and more noise and it becomes, and if you do enough operations, basically you can't decrypt the message anymore. So you have to do this bootstrapping thing to sort of move the noise back down. But like, we've reached the point where there are systems which exist which do implement sort of arbitrary FHE in some sense, where you can sort of, if you trust the security of the system, you can do like arbitrary operations on ciphertext. It's kind of slow, but you know, you can do them. But the important thing is that like the abstraction FHE provides is that like you can just do an arbitrary operation on the ciphertext without like learning anything about what's inside. And then the result is a ciphertext. And so a lot of people imagine a bunch of applications for this, but sort of the basic workflow is that I don't want to do the computation, but I have the data. And I don't want to share the data with the person who can do the computation. So like I encrypt it, they do it over the ciphertext and they send me back the ciphertext and then I decrypt it. And like maybe one situation where this would be useful is like somebody has a machine learning model. They don't want to tell me the weights so that I can run it myself. And I don't want the t to tell them the data that I want them to run the model on. So maybe I just like send them an encryption of the data and then they run the machine learning model on that. So that would be like one example that people talk about.
and then I guess that brings me to sort of my frustration, which is that I think in most cases, when you're thinking of like applications like this, it's much more useful to, to think of MPC as the abstraction you're using rather than FHE. So MPC, I think I've explained it a few times in this podcast, but since I've taken such a large hiatus, I have to explain it again. <laughs> so multi-party computation is, I mean, it's sort of like a generalization of this, right? So the idea is like, in multi-party computation, each person has private data. And what you want to do is you want to compute some function jointly over that private data. You can also make it so that like each person like learns a different function. Like maybe we're two people and we each have a private integer. And one person after running the protocol learns the maximum of the two integers and the other person learns the minimum. Uh, that, that's sort of a bad example in some sense because like that there reviews a bunch of information, but maybe we have like a list of integers or something. But anyhow, the idea is that like when you run this protocol, each person can sort of compute a function of the of the joint private inputs that everybody holds. This is useful, for example, if we're doing like auctions. So maybe you want to have each person submit a bid, you want to keep private. But then you want to compute like who won and how much they have to pay. Like maybe you're doing a second price auction where it's like the person that bid the most wins and they only pay the second highest price. So if the bids are like 90, 100 and 1000, the person who bid 1000 is going to win, but they only pay 100 because 100 was the second highest bid. And you can do this with MPC while keeping like the bids secret, like to the extent possible. Because like the idea is like you just have everyone bid Secretly, that's their private input. You run this MPC protocol for the auction, and the end result is that everybody learns who won and what they have to pay. <laughs> but they don't learn like how much the person who won bid. So that might be like bad, because then like, especially if you have like an iterated uh, game version of this, like if you were to just reveal all bids, even if you were to do like a commit kind of thingy to prevent choosing your bid based on what you other bids you've seen, if at the end you see all bids, there's this like problem where if you iterate the game over multiple like iterations, like maybe you're betting on multiple items, you can start to like see like how much wealth someone has based on how much they're bidding. And that might be an issue. Cause like you could try and like then move your price, your bids up to sort of extract more money out of them. But anyhow, the point is that just like NPC is like this very general concept. And I think it's, it's much more useful for applications to think of NPC because usually the situation you have is that you have like some kind of private data shared between different people and they want to do something with it. And in MPC, you can totally fit in the FHE thing. Because if we go back to the model we had of like one person has a machine learning model, they don't want to share the weights, uh, and the other person has the data they want to keep secret, you can fit this into the MPC paradigm. You know, one person has private weights, the other person has private data, and the end result is that one person needs to learn nothing and the other person needs to learn like the output of the model on their data. So you can fit that into the MPC paradigm. Maybe the best way to do this is FHE, because with FHE, you, you have the advantage of very low communication, because you only need to communicate, you know, data proportional to the input that you want to keep secret. Whereas in like other MPC protocols, you might need to communicate like some data for every like weight in the machine learning model, or like every bit, every gate in your circuit, you need to communicate. But like, my point is that this is just like an internal property of the protocol. It's like an implementation detail. Like people shouldn't need to like really care about this when thinking at like, what can we do in terms of applications? This is really like best left as like a, a tool to design protocols. And also one disadvantage of like thinking in FHE, FHE all the time is that like 
It prevents you from designing hybrid protocols, which use FHE like judiciously for certain aspects, but not for everything. Because like if if you have to cram everything into FHE, you're gonna make a lot of trade-offs at the application level, which are unnecessary if you're thinking an MPC. So that's sort of my criticism. But I guess I haven't even explained like like what uh, the phenomenon I'm grabbing about is. Because like a lot of times, especially when it comes to like uh, more like industry level conferences and stuff like that. Because you have like sort of internal academic stuff, but then you also have like sort of I don't know what the the best way to phrase it is. I guess like innovation cheese platter, right? Like there's these kind of events where like people present like cool stuff that industry might want to use. And oftentimes like FHE gets like a really big spotlight and nobody mentions MPC, which kind of annoys me because of all the aforementioned reasons. So people talk a lot about FHE and they talk about like all the beautiful things they can do. And sometimes they even talk about things that FHE can't really do and you need MPC. <laughs> and I guess I'll sort of like revisit this idea once we sort of unify this with the ML stuff. But I think one reason this happens is because like FHE is a more legible technology and that there's sort of this irony in that people people prefer to think in like implementation details, funnily enough, even though abstractions would be easier. So people prefer to like attach onto very concrete systems because they'd like to have something to like sink their th teeth into. And I think this is because of the legibility problem. Like people have a hard time, you know, really grasping something unless they have a very concrete like version of it in their heads. Like you get this a lot with like encryption where like, instead of like thinking of encryption as like a, an opaque abstraction, they like want to you know jump straight into like mentioning AES or like HMAC and like all these acronyms that don't like really matter to what you're trying to do as you're designing an application. But people like to have like a concrete thing in their head. And that's sort of an aspect of legibility here. And so with FHE, I, I feel like it's a lot more concrete in people's head than MPC because it's sort of like a very specific thing. And for some reason, when people have a very specific thing in mind, they start like extrapolating a bunch of applications, regardless of whether or not they're realistic. And that's sort of an instance of legibility. And I guess sort of moving on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is that this problem also arises in like ML. And in ML, it's like a lot worse because like machine learning is much more popular than FHE, which is like, you know, still pretty niche. Uh, machine learning is like everywhere, blah, blah, blah. But often I, I get really annoyed by this because I'm kind of a machine learning bear and that I'm, I'm not like too optimistic about machine learning because I think people are like using it in places that don't make sense and using it to the point where they forget about like computing in general, which I'm very optimistic about. And so that annoys me. It's like oftentimes people will talk about like machine learning for just like automation, especially like when it comes to like business process kind of thing. They're like, oh, you know, we could use machine learning to like automate form filling. Well, you could use like just normal software to automate form filling. Like uh, there's a bunch of stuff where we like, are, it's already automated and people are talking about using machine learning to automate it. And often people forget like the flaws of machine learning when they do this. Because if you think about like what software can do, you can basically encode an idea and just repeat that at the application of that idea to sort of anything. So if you can figure out how to do something, you can just write that down in the form of software and then a computer can do that, you know, a billion times. And often people like talk about sort of applications of ML and it's situations where like we, we know how to do it. Where ML is useful is like situations where we don't know how to mechanically do something. So there are things that humans can do, but we don't know how we do them. So like when you recognize faces, 
Like we don't know how we're doing it. Like you, you can you can ask someone to explain like how how could how could you recognize my face? They just know it's you. They just recognize faces. They they don't know how they do it. But if you ask someone to like you know write like a specific letter, they can sort of explain what they're doing. Like okay, well if you want to write the letter A, you draw like a circle and then you put a line on the right. Or like if you draw want to draw a letter F, you do like one line and then two lines horizontally. So you can explain that. So that's sort of different. But like, for example, like translating speech, I mean, translating speech is something that's sort of an interesting mix in that like all, eventually people do sort of intuitively, but you can also sort of develop rules for it. Like, oh, you know, this word means this word in that language. You know, you can translate this verb conjugation with that verb conjugation in this language. And I, I guess the point is that like where machine learning is really good is at those things where like you would trust a human to do them. But like for reasons of scale and like cost, you can't afford like just having a human doing it. So for example, like facial recognition is a good example of this in that like you could replace your fancy machine learning system with just somebody just watching the video feed and telling you if you recognize his faces. Uh, the thing is that like that doesn't scale very well. So it, machine learning allows you to replace the human doing a very human task with like a machine doing a human task. Or like maybe you want to sort of classify images. So you want like to be able to tell, you know, what dance moves someone's doing. You could hire somebody to do that, like do a bit of learning about like what dance moves exist and they would be able to recognize it. Where machine learning is like, let's good is where people are like talking about like, oh, let's, let's use machine learning to like find like, to do like science predictions. Like let's predict, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's predict like physical thing systems. And the issue is that like humans are like, very good at predicting like complicated physical systems either simple ones yes but like if you ask a human to predict like a double pendulum like they're not going to be able to do it very well so if you if you train a fancy machine learning system you're like oh it's going to predict the double pendulum uh like you wouldn't trust a human to do it so it's kind of silly to trust a machine learning model to do it too it, what, what really annoys me a lot is when people like uh use it for like justice systems it's like oh yeah we're going to use like a machine learning model to like do sentencing it's like, would you trust, like, a human just guessing how much to sentence people? No. <laughs> but basically, a machine learning model is just a human guessing. That's, like, that's like the level of performance you can achieve. So, like, there's also sort of a legibility problem there that, like, people don't understand how, like, these models work. And it's a big issue. But, you know, for some reason, like, there's something about machine learning where it, like, makes people dream of, like, intelligence in general. And so, like... People immediately think that, well, you know, someday machine learning models can do anything humans can do. Therefore, like, they can be used to automate everything. But they sort of fail to understand, like, the ways in which most things have been automated via software as it exists today, which is that you sort of derive mechanistic understandings of, like, how to do stuff. So you basically increase your own knowledge of the thing, but then you can encode that knowledge in, like, a legible way to computers. And that's, like, a very powerful thing because. Basically, it allow it's basically lossless reproduction of understanding. I could do like a, a whole like series of episodes about like computing and stuff, but uh, the interesting thing here is that like what you can do with the computer is that you can sort of encode an idea in a way that's not going to be lossy. Because the issue with like humans is that when we encode ideas via like speech and whatnot, like there's some, it's difficult to like exactly transmit an idea to somebody else. Like there's always some kind of like loss in communication. Or like they don't understand exactly what you meant, etc. Whereas with like a machine, it forces you to encode the idea in, a, in an 
extremely precise way, which prevents loss of transmission as like the software is copied. But basically, it like the sky's the limit because as long as you can figure out how to do something, like you can basically tell the computer how to do it in that way. And so, like, if you look at just the possibilities for automation, it's much easier to see how you'd automate stuff with software than with machine learning. But, like, like with any technology, you run into this issue where, like, initially you have a bunch of high hopes because you haven't done anything yet, so you don't know what the limitations are. So with computing, like, there are there are, like initially people thought that we were going to use, like, computing to, to create artificial general intelligence just with, like, software. And like, you know, there's like a software you could write that's like under lines and it'd be AGI. It's a lot of the classical approaches to AI were like this. But then we realized that that didn't really work too well. So then we just stopped like trying to do that. And so like as software became more and more prominent, we started to realize like its limitations, but also like it sort of creates this frame and that maybe it's theoretically possible to do something. It's just that like it's difficult to get the coordination for people to write the software to do something. Like there's a lot of systems which could be automated and, you know, applications which could be written and just haven't been written because it's just difficult to, like, herd the cats and, like, get people aligned and just make it. So, like, there's a bunch of, like, stuff we could do that we're just not doing. But because people are sort of, like, confronted with, like, the reality of, like, how much stuff we have or haven't automated with software, they sort of, like, implicitly think that this is sort of, like, the limit. Like, the only thing you can do with software are the things we've already done because it's been long enough. So when people see ML and it's like new and fancy, people would just like immediately dream like all the possibilities you could do because there's no limitations on their thoughts yet. Whereas with computing, people like don't dream as much <laughs> about what's possible, at least not anymore. I think that's a bit of a shame because really like, you know, technically speaking, ML falls under the umbrella of computing. So anything you can do with ML is like technically something you're doing with computing. So I'm much more optimistic about like computing as a whole, especially like, with it, when it comes to ML, integrating it into like, basically like using ML for very specific subtasks, but otherwise integrating it into a computational framework. I think sort of the monolithic uses of ML we have right now aren't very, you know, great. Like you access, I'm doing, I'm basically like turning this into an ML episode, but so I'll finish like here. But like one limitation of current systems is that like you have this sort of black box and it's difficult to chain things together. Like you have these like art models, which are really neat and fancy, but it's sort of like difficult uh, to like use them in like a specific context. Like you basically ask it for like a prompt that's not like super useful. And where it would be useful is more in like a Photoshop kind of application where like you get it to do a very specific thing, but it's still like in the general workflow that you control. And then it becomes much more composable and much more like a, of an open system, which is more useful. But I, 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 could, I could do like a whole ML episode at some point. <laughs> well, like a lot of things I don't like about ML. Uh, but, but, but like, I guess to like tie the two topics together between FHE and ML is that like both of these are instances where I'm annoyed because I feel like people are like, you know, missing the forest for the trees and people are hyper fixated in like specific aspects of a more general phenomenon. So like focusing on FHE, even though it's like a particular technique to implement MPC or focusing on ML, even though it's like, you know, something you can do with computing and sort of conflating the, the two. So people ascribe like general possibilities to a very specific, you know, implementation detail. That kind of annoys me. But like, at some point I stopped being annoyed because I realized that it's like, there's no point being annoyed and you, you want to try and understand why this happens. 
And I think the reason this happens is like because of legibility, as like I've said five times. So what I mean here is that like people need to be able to ascribe like an understanding. When, when people like you're trying to get people to adopt a new technology, they have to have like, some understanding of what it is, right? And this is like legibility. So it has to be there has to be some kind of narrative around what the technology is and what it can do. And technologies which have successful narratives around them and which can be explained to layman's regardless of the accuracy of this explanation is like what's going to take off so like i guess another example would be like zk proofs where like when people say zk proofs they usually like implicitly mean succinct and they like implicitly just care about the proving part and not necessarily the zk so sometimes even people will just say zk to mean proofs and this is sort of like a legibility thing that like people have ascribed this like narrative to zk and it becomes this sort of like bookmark like a much wider breadth of concepts whereas like the sort of academic people like they see it as a very specific thing and they don't necessarily immediately like branch out into a bunch of possibilities i guess another way of looking at this is like if you're sort of immersed in the field like you see like all the individual trees and like you you know the names of all of them whereas like someone that's looking at a forest they might just look at one tree and say oh the, the whole forest is this tree like, they see a pine tree, they're like, oh, you know, this is a pine forest. Even though there may be a bunch of other trees, it's just like, they're very far away, and they have, you know, other things to do. They can't spend all their times, like, looking at these trees. And so that's why I think it's, like, very important to, like, have some kind of precisions in the stories we tell. And also, I think that if you're going to, like, simplify things, you should simplify them in, like, an honest way. And a way which, like, doesn't introduce unnecessary implementation details, which are going to become these, like, anchors. Like, if you're going to talk about NPC, I think it's better to talk about it in general terms and not, like, mention secret sharing or FHE as specific implementation details. Because then, like, people would necessarily latch on to those implementation details and, like, start associating, like, everything being done with those. And it's, like, a, it's immediately creating this limited frame of conception of the technology. Whereas if you, like, manage to stick with the abstraction, it's much easier to sort of not limit yourself in terms of what you think is possible or, like, what it's possible to to implement things with but it's like absolutely crucial to like set some kind of narrative because otherwise you you just have no control over like how things are perceived like if you just sort of like introduce a bunch of implementation details people are going to start like imagining a bunch of things that are possible and unless you sort of like inform unless you give sort of like a more general like abstraction for what the things you can and can't do like it's it, you're going to easily get sort of like weird stuff people imagine are possible so, yeah, I, I guess it, if I wanted to, like, instead of complain, to, like, address the things that I'm annoyed about, I, th I guess I would need to, like, write more better introductory material to, like, NPC for a layman audience and sort of introduce them to, like, the abstraction, maybe even mention, like, a few ways to implement it, but sort of insist on the fact that, you know, NPC is sort of a virginal thing. And that even just without looking at the implementation details, you can already do a lot of useful prototyping work in terms of imagining what kind of applications you could do. Because there are like some limitations which come just from the fact that you're sort of in this model where each person has private data and you need to communicate to get the result. Like there's already some limitations you can get out of that. You can't do everything in this kind of model. And so I think, you know, for people that are trying to integrate these technologies into their own work, just having some kind of abstraction they can use and think about is already very useful because it allows them to sort of do a lot of reasoning work on their own without having to like 
contact an expert in the field or whatever. And with computing, I mean, I think we really need to do a lot more like evangelism of computing in general because I think over time, unfortunately, like a lot of what people perceive as computing has just been like unduly restricted and dumbed down. And it's not really no fault of their own because like a lot of like people sort of benefit from just having, you know, devices as sort of like consumer portals rather than like, you know, mind enhancement. And there's like this sort of cycle where like, you know, people like do computing for a while, they get their hopes up. Uh, inevitably, you know, their hopes aren't lived up to, so people kind of like forget about computing as like this grand thing. People invent a new flavor of computing, and then people, you know, get talking about that again. She had this like for a while with like GUIs and like object oriented programming was going to be like this huge, you know, thing revolutionizing the world, and like it doesn't. And then now I feel like ML is sort of the flavor of the week here, where people are like ascribing all their hopes and dreams for computing onto ML because they've sort of forgotten like how, you know, great computing is. I could do like a whole episode about like computing because to me it's like probably the most important technology ever invented. I, I say that as like a bit of a, a meme because there's there's like six technologies before it which are necessary, like math, writing, and not, but like if, if people really underestimate like how of a, if an invention of computing is, it's like insane. Uh I I'm I'm gonna start rambling if I keep talking about it. So <laughs> I guess I guess to wrap up let me sort of summarize the ideas as TLDR, TLDL. So basically, I get annoyed when people like complete FHE and MPC. And I think in general, like homomorphic encryption, while very cool, is more useful as like an implementation technique for multi-party computation. And multi-party computation is a much more useful abstraction for building applications. And I think people should think in terms of MPC when they're trying to sort of potentially integrate these into their applications. And then sort of another instance of this conflation issue is when people can play like ML with all of computing. So whenever they think of how to automate something, they sort of jump to ML without even thinking about whether or not it could be automated with just, you know, software. And this also annoys me. But in general, these are sort of instances of a, of a legibility problem where like people need some kind of narrative around the technologies they use and they need to have like some kind of, they're always going to develop some kind of understanding and unless like you provide them with like a ver very good solid abstraction and you have good pedagogy, uh, you're going to sort of lose control of this narrative and you might end up with weird things like people completing FHE and MPC or people completing ZK with like succinctness and stuff like that. So that's why I think it's important to like be empathetic and have good pedagogy and, you know, try and think of the narratives you're constructing when you're making learning material. Uh, hopefully this was... Uh... So an interesting episode. I felt like I was starting to ramble a bit by the end there. Uh, I definitely need to do the the longer form episodes of like ML and like computing and stuff at some point. But until then, um, thanks for for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. See ya.